You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Welcome, everyone who's here, and good morning to those watching online. For those of you who don't know, my name's Taylor. Um, I don't have a title here, but I was thinking about it when Teresa introduced herself. Um, I think my introduction is just, I'm an overthinker who Jesus loves and saved. So (laughs) that's as good as I can do for a title. Uh, All right. So... All right, we've been, for those of you who might not know, we've been in a series talking about the best is yet to come, and this is a word that God has given to Jason for our church, and so um, I've been thinking a lot about that. What does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for me individually? As we start to think about like, what season are we in right now, and what season do we hope is coming next? Um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is I have these ideas of what that means. You know, when I think of what's the the next thing to come and I'm hoping that it's the best, I have a picture of what that means for me. And um, that doesn't always match with what God does in our lives. And sometimes he says the best is yet to come and then he does things that we don't understand and, and things that are hard to understand might be his best for us. Or maybe um, his best is a little bit further out than what we were hoping for. I like things on my time frame, and God's timeline doesn't always match that, right? Um, So as I was thinking about this, I've been reading through the Gospels in the last couple of months. And so there's uh, a story, really two stories, that that came to mind as I was thinking about um, what what does it look like for us to be in a season of, of knowing that the best is yet to come for us. Um, And so we're going to be reading this morning in Mark. Um, So I'm going to start in Mark chapter 5. This this first part is going to be the story of Jairus. Uh, So starting in verse 21, it says, When Jesus crossed over again, uh, sorry, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So here we see this picture of what has kind of become, I don't want to say commonplace, but this is um, in the middle of Jesus's ministry. So there's been a lot of different healings that he's done so far. He's taught in parables and he's healed people. He's cast out demons. Um, The beginning of this chapter sees Jesus restoring a demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake. That's where he's just come from. So it's getting, word is getting around to the area. Jesus is this teacher, this rabbi who has the ability to heal, to cast out demons. And so word, word is getting around at that. And so we see this synagogue leader who, he, he is desperate. That's, that's the vision that I have of Jairus in this moment. I'm not a parent, but I know a lot of you are. And you can imagine that when your child is sick and there are no other answers, you've gone to the doctors, you've gone towards medicine to see what can happen, you've been praying, and now you're at the point of going to this rabbi saying, I need a miracle. And so I feel... I feel like Jairus has this like sense of desperation. He's come to this point of like this is this is my only hope here. And fortunately for him, Jesus says, "Okay, let's go. Let's head to your house." And so I, I feel 
I imagine Jairus having this hope. Okay, like I'm at the end of my rope. I'm desperate for healing. And now I've got hope because Jesus is going to come do this healing. He's agreed to that. Uh, But before that can happen, the story takes a little bit of a pause. Jairus' story takes a little bit of a pause. And so when we pick it up in verse 25, it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciple answers, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So I, I could speak at length at just this one story. There's, there's a lot in this story of this woman who's been healed. Um, but I, I want to focus in on just a couple of things. One is that this is a chronic illness, 12 years of her life. We don't know how old she is, so we don't really have a sense of, is that a majority of her life? Um, We don't know, but anyone who's had a chronic illness or knows somebody who has had a chronic illness or an acute illness, you know what that's like, that suffering. And 12 years of suffering without hope is a really, really hard place to be in life. And I know that she's without hope because if you note the key point here that she had spent all she had for healing and instead of getting better, she got worse. And so what what we should note there is that there's this sense of um, almost exploitation. She's spent, she had some type of means, she had some kind of money that she was able to seek out treatment. And so she spent everything she had. So she's, she's in a sense of desperation right now. There is no more hope for her and she's spent everything she has and she's gotten worse instead of better. And so we see her coming to Jesus with this faith, this belief. She's similar to Jairus. She's heard the rumors. She hears about this rabbi going around doing healings and she thinks, I have no other hope and so this might be the, the one last hope that I have. And she believes in him and his power to heal so much that she doesn't even ask him. She goes in the crowd and she just reaches out. She reaches out for that hope and touches his garment. And then we see this power exchange. She feels immediately in her body that she is well. And Jesus immediately feels that power has gone out from him. I can't really imagine what that must have been like for either of them. But it's a really interesting picture of hopelessness and then immediate relief. And I think if you've ever been in a position in life, a circumstance in life where you felt hopelessness and had someone offer you hope, you maybe have a sense of what that must have been like for her. I know I've had situations in my life where things felt hopeless and then someone reached out and offered some sense of hope. Hopefully, uh, all of us believers here have have felt some level of that when we placed our, our hope in Jesus. Yeah. And we've, so we've, we can get a little bit of a sense of what she must have felt. But at the same time, then Jesus turns around and says, 
who touched me? And so now she's in a position of, she had sort of been hiding in the crowd and now she has to come forward and say, it was me. I'm the one who, who just had that healing. And she doesn't know what the reaction is gonna be from Jesus. And that can be really scary. Uh, I imagine that she was full of fear of the reaction of the crowd. Maybe Jesus would be angry. She doesn't really know. But he turns around and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And for any of us who have had some type of suffering that Jesus has freed us from, we have a sense of, of what she must have been feeling at that moment. Uh, I also want to take a pause here and think about what Jairus must be feeling in this moment. He's come to this rabbi as his last hope for his daughter, and then in the middle of going towards his house for the healing, he witnesses in real time the exact type of miracle he's asking for. And I feel like his hope must have been like just off the charts. Like, How could you have asked for a better setup for the miracle that he's asking for? And he just witnesses a similar type of miracle right in front of his eyes. A woman who's been suffering for 12 years, which we're about to find out is the exact amount of time his daughter has been with him on this earth. And so I feel like he must have just had so much hope and excitement at that moment. He probably feels like I'm about to get the miracle that I'm asking for. What relief as a parent he must be feeling. That's not actually the way that it goes. So when we pick it up in verse 35, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, he's speaking to the woman that he's just healed. And while he's still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Wow, what a picture of a roller coaster of emotions that he's come to Jesus for his last hope. He's been given hope. He sees a miracle happen in front of him. And then while that miracle is being kind of uh, completed, the, the people from his house come and tell him, there is no more hope. Your daughter has died. I mean, from just like mountaintop high to valley low, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for a parent. And Jesus knew what he was feeling, so Jesus responds to him. In verse 36, we pick it up, and it says, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. And then we're going to pick up the rest of Jairus' story, and it says, He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. But after uh, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kayum. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And so you see Jairus just has, like, what a day he's had. He, he's gone from desperately hopeless and seeking out this last resort to feeling like, wow, I've, I've witnessed the miracle that I'm asking for for somebody else, to hearing that his daughter has died and that there is no hope, to having Jesus tell him, don't be afraid, just believe. And so I don't know if I'm, uh, I, I don't want to speak for Jairus, but as I'm reading that, I'm, my emotions are on a roller coaster of, 
wow, like God can do incredible things, but it doesn't always happen in the way that we think it's going to. Jairus probably thought, I'm going to go ask for this miracle, and I'm going to bring this rabbi back to my house and get this healing, and that's not exactly the way that it goes. Eventually, he gets what he had asked the Lord for, but it certainly took a little bit of twists and turns to get there, and I think I can relate to that a lot in my life. Of I have asked the Lord for certain blessings. I've asked the Lord for certain things, and he has granted some of those things, but it didn't look the way that I thought it was going to. And some of those things haven't been granted yet. You know, maybe I'm still in the waiting period for some of those blessings that I've asked for. Um, maybe, maybe the answer to some of those things is no or keep waiting. Um, and so as I'm thinking about, you know, what, uh, what the response is of these two different people, Jairus and the woman who was bleeding, one interesting thing came up to me um, as I read through the story. And so you see when Jairus first comes up to Jesus, there's a really interesting detail. It says he, he went up to Jesus and he fell at his feet. So he falls at Jesus' feet as he's asking for this miracle. And when the bleeding woman is, uh, when Jesus says, who touched me? And she realizes she has to come forward and, and say, that was me. And she falls at his feet. I don't think it's a coincidence that they both had that same response of falling at Jesus' feet. And that's a posture of worship. So when you fall at someone's feet, that's an acknowledgement that you're somebody worthy of me bowing down to you. You're somebody worthy of my praise. And so as I was thinking about, you know, in this season that we're in as a church and, and season that I'm in in my life, what's an appropriate response to waiting for the best that we, we know is coming? And worship and this posture of, of bowing down, falling down at Jesus' feet is what came to mind. Um, there, there are so many really, really great songs that I have on repeat that really speak to this kind of posture of the heart. I'm going to read a, a little bit of one. This is a song called Seasons by somebody named Benjamin William Hastings. Um, he writes some pretty phenomenal worship music that speaks to this theme, um, and it speaks to me personally, so I'm going to share it with you. So uh, this particular song says, I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise even in the winter, because you're the God of greatness even in the manger. For all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second. Instead, you sent a child. I love how that speaks to the fact that we have an image in our head of how things should go, the timeline of how things should happen, and God has his own timeline. And that's something that can be very difficult when we're in the seasons of illness, when we're in the seasons of waiting, when we're in seasons that don't make sense to us. It can be really, really difficult. And, and so I love that worship brings us to this place and this posture where we can still trust in God's faithfulness. We can still trust in his promises. And, and songs like this one, which speaks to me, and hopefully you all think of songs that speak to you, can really help us get our heart into that place. Worship isn't just about music. While I absolutely love the way that music can touch our hearts as humans, we, we have a special connection with music, and that's so beautiful. 
We sing these songs that, that remind us of God's promises, that remind us of God's faithfulness. It gives us this opportunity to fall at his feet or to lift our hands and say, God, you are faithful. We know you're in this place. We know you're moving. Um, that's beautiful, and I absolutely love that. But I do want to highlight that worship is more than just the songs that we sing. Worship is the posture of our hearts. Worship is, is where we go to show God that we understand that he is worthy. Um, and so I want to read a couple of things that uh, Paul wrote to help us understand the, the place that worship has in our lives as Christians. So the first one is going to be Ephesians. So in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about um, you know living as a Christian, and he really speaks to um, sort of a lifestyle that, that worship is one part of. So uh, in verse... There we go. I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier than what I think is on the screen, or maybe we don't have it. That's okay, too. Um, so in starting chapter 5, verse 15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it speaks of psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, which we love, right? Most of us really enjoy the time of worship where we get to sing these wonderful songs that, that remind us of God's promises and his faithfulness. But it's also part of a bigger picture of the lives that we live in his spirit, that living a wise life that honors God is, is your whole life, not just Sunday mornings, right? It's the whole picture of, of your lifestyle and the way that you choose to um, spend your time and, and what you place your thoughts on and things like that. Uh, in a, uh, that was Ephesians. Next one is in Colossians. Paul says something similar in Colossians 3. So in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So whatever season we're in, if we're wanting peace, if we want to have the peace that God can give us, if we want to live wise lives where we share with others what God has done for us. Worship is one part of that. Singing the songs and the hymns, the songs of the Spirit is one part of that. Using those truths to teach each other, to help each other grow, that's part of that. Worship is not just an individual thing that I do alone, but it's this communal thing that we as a church can do so that our hearts are in the right posture for whatever God has next for us. Whether we understand it, whether it's in our time frame, or whether it's hard for us to understand, whether it's full of ups and downs of life. The worship is what will help us have that heart posture of saying, no matter what happens, God, we trust in you. We know you're faithful. We know you keep your promises. Even if it doesn't look like we think it's going to look, we can still trust in that. And we know that 
the use of, of these techniques, these songs that we sing, are part of giving us that heart posture of being in a right relationship with God, growing in our intimacy with God, trusting him more, and having that peace that he can offer us. So I want to finish with a psalm, since Paul spoke so highly of them. Psalm 148 is a beautiful psalm full of just all all kinds of praise to the Lord. I'm just going to read a small portion of it, starting in verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, king of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. So as we invite the worship team to come back up and finish with another song of worship, I invite you to set the posture of your heart to worship before God, no matter what season you're in, no matter what he's doing in your life, even if it's hard to understand, or if it's a season of blessing and you just want to praise and pour out your thanksgiving to him. God will offer us peace through this worship. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.